This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Travis Thompson is the executive director of All Florida down in Florida. He's been on the podcast before. I'm a big fan of Travis Thompson. I'm a big, a bigger fan of Travis Thompson when he calls me out on Instagram. <laughs> And that's what he did. And that's why we started this uh, this initiation of this podcast is that went down to Florida, went down to his backyard and started filming a sustainable utilization piece around hunting of invasive species of python and iguana. And uh, Travis responded to an Instagram post. And that response was simply tread carefully here, Robbie. And I was intrigued because I respect the guy tremendously. And he obviously uh, wanted to let me know his feelings on the subject. And so I said, man, let's just podcast about it because I think it'll be a good discussion. And so here's that podcast. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name, my name is... Does <laughs> my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. <laughs> Braxton, you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a... A feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. I will say, uh, yeah, I was going to say, man, you could have just pushed it, man. I thought when you said I'm in the eye doctor since two o'clock, I was like, hey, I don't know what's wrong with your eyes. Yeah, uh, so my son was getting contacts and he... he he couldn't get him in. That took about an hour, and then he couldn't Ish. get him out, and that took about an hour. So it, the eye doctor was not so long. The uh, the uh, getting him in, getting him out was the long part. So he had to like try to get him in and out. Yeah. So you can't leave with them. You can't leave if they're if they're not if you can't take them in and put them in and take them out. That's the interesting. Yeah, some kind of law in the state of Florida. It's a law in the state of Florida? Yep. Yep, so you can't, uh, they won't let you leave with the contacts in. Man. That's a crazy law. It is. It is. Well, Travis Thompson, welcome back to the Blood Origins podcast. You, you dodged a bullet hurricane a couple of weeks ago. I think the last time we did a podcast with you was a hurricane too. So maybe it's just bad timing for me. Like any time. Listen, man, I moved away from the Mississippi Gulf Coast to get away from hurricanes. And I happened to place myself back in South Florida 
with two hurricanes. It was Fred and Idalia on either side of me going, I was like, what am I doing? Yeah. That's, it's just, but it's kind of part of life. Like you ever see the memes or the, or whatever floating around, like Florida, Florida man starts planning his party whenever the hurricanes come. It's not to make light of like the bad stuff that's going to happen, but it's also, it's just like. It's part of life. Yeah, it's part of life. You, I mean, hurricanes have been going on since the dawn of time. You talk about honey uh-huh. being so natural. Uh-huh. Like uh-huh. living and functioning in hurricanes. Like we do it better now than we've ever done. Uh-huh. So yeah, you, all, your freezer goes out. You got to cook all your meat. So the day after the hurricane, you know, if it's not destruction everywhere, you have everybody over and you cook all your food and you have a party. Yeah. No, you certainly have to just. You know, you, you deal with it just like you deal with Formosan swarms, just like you deal with ter- whatever, man. You know, it's just part and parcel of life that you decide this is where I'm going to live. Um, it's also hot as Hades down there right now. Oh, it's it really hot. It was miserable. Like the humidity was, I've never sweated. Every day we sweated through our shirts. Oh, yeah. Gone. We, so I, I cut my foot because, you know, I do, I do duck hunt. A, a lot yep. of duck hunting stuff. Is teal of, season open down there now? It's opening this coming weekend. Okay. So, um, you know, I'm doing a lot of duck hunting stuff, and but we also do a lot of conservation work. And so we had some researchers out to look at a snail kite. It's a it's a bird yeah. that we have nesting on one of our on our properties that we do duck hunts on. And so I had cut my foot, and you're not supposed to be in that nasty. I, I, I say nasty. Sure. In the water, any kind of stagnant yeah. water, you're not supposed to be in it if you're over 40 years and a male. And, you know, <laughs> so I usually go, you know, t- t-shirt, shorts, tennis shoes and wait around this time of year. But I threw my waders on and honestly, I was, it was so sweaty, oh it was so hot when I got done. I was like, man, I probably run the risk of infection just from baking my, my foot in, in there. Oh my gosh. Thankfully that's- Yeah, baking you know, your foot in your own sweat. Yeah. It's the puddles of your own sweat. But yeah, you just, people don't understand, like you, you go to, you go out West, you go to Texas, you go to, I've been to Arizona, to the desert and stuff before. And it's oppressively hot there. It's like hot. It's a dry heat, but it's a dry heat in my oven. But the humidity, man, the humidity. Oh, you dude. just walk outside at seven in the morning. You're just drenched in sweat. And you just get used to yeah. it. You take three showers a day if you can. Yeah, I brought um, uh, the, my, my camera crew out of the UK. They came with me for this Tennessee and Florida trip. And Tennessee was ludicrously hot and humid as well. But Florida was just on a, a different level. Plus getting them out at night constantly. They were just like, this is, it's not what we're used to. <laughs> because you were doing pythons and stuff too, right? So you guys were, you guys were, so I, yeah, I've done that a bunch. And you would think at 11 o'clock at night, at one o'clock in the morning, it's oh, not man. as oppressively hot. I feel like it almost feels hotter because it doesn't feel like it should be that hot. Yeah. And there's no wind and you're in thick, thick cover ducking and diving it's not like it's easy just standing around it was brutal the bugs the bugs are next level there's every different kind of it and thankfully on most of my properties this year we have not had a bad mosquito hatch but in years past the best way i describe it to most people is biblical like jack was getting jack one of the cameramen was getting mosquitoes like drilling through his shirts just i was like There's a spot in Tampa Bay. It's called Co- a, lot, a lot of people fish it. It's called Cockroach Bay. It was named after the horseshoe crabs. The Spanish were yeah. they used they they so it became Cockroach Bay, and um, the mosquitoes there hurt worse than anywhere I've ever been in my life. Except maybe, oh maybe Flamingo down in the Everglades, but they're they're exactly what you described. It's like they're throwing little darts at you, like the way they hit you. Unbelievable. Yeah, and nothing stops them. Deep. Thermocells, the whole nine yards. It's it- well, we had friend. So we had this woman from uh, Teton Leather Company in Idaho down as well, Francesca, and she's all about like I don't want to use DEET. I'm going to be eco friendly, and she had this stuff that I was like, all right, I'll try it. I'll try it. I'll try it. I sprayed it on my neck, and my neck was on fire for like 15 minutes. I was like, are you sure there's no DEET in here? <laughs> because it was like burning up. Like the boys sprayed it on their faces and whatnot, thinking it's not going to burn because it doesn't have DEET. That shit burned. Yeah. I, I, I lose, I know you shouldn't put DEET on you. I lose at least one or two watch, like the little cheap pa- plastic Apple watch bands. Yeah. I'll lose a couple of those a year because the DEET will actually eat through the plastic at some point. Oh, and it's like, imagine what that's doing to your skin, well, man. Imagine what's doing to your skin. But also I'm like, I, I, I'm not exaggerating, Robbie. 
last year we had the worst mosquito hatch I've ever seen. And it was like you couldn't touch a person without touching a mosquito bite on them. I mean, it was oh like... Oh, my God. Mosquitoes are the probably number one killer of man of all time. Like, in yeah. the animal kingdom. That's that's a pretty... New, so, I was going with the DEET over the whatever I was going to get from the mosquitoes that were hatching stuff out in the Everglades. Oh, man. Unbelievable. Well, uh, Travis Thompson, welcome back to the Blood Origins podcast. Um just give a rundown who you are, what you do. I don't think you were the director of this new nonprofit the last time we spoke to each other. So we, we had just formed it. So yeah, so I've, I've got kind of three things that I do. Most folks that listen to Podcast World knew me from Cast and Blast Florida. That was one we did for a long time. Okay. Kind of a morning show of fun. Let's talk about hunting and fishing in Florida. And over time, that morphed into more serious conversation kind of topics. Um, we have, so I also run what is now called Duck, Duck Ranching. Which okay. is, uh, we rebranded it. It used to be called PT Outfitters. And that's the largest waterfowl hunting operation in the state of Florida. And so as a duck hunting and a longtime fishing guide, I got pretty convicted about what I saw as outfitter participation in the conservation story, the conservation, the shaping of conservation at a, at a big level. Mm-hmm. And so I got very involved in participating in conservation, be it legislation, be it, be it commission meetings or whatever. And so uh, through that, I started a, a nonprofit called All Florida that's aimed at uh, creating conservationists. That's kind of our goal. We are not a sportsman's organization, although we don't shy away from sportsman's issues. Uh, we are primarily, we, we, we like to call ourselves a true conservation organization that tries to, to be on the conservation side. And your, your lens, my lens, that often includes hunting. Uh, more often, yeah, yeah. not includes hunting. So in your, in your duck lease world, are... How does all Florida tie in with the duck lease world in terms of are you are you talking to the farmers, putting conservation in the ground, moving water? What is that all, all of the above? Yeah, so I run I run duck ranching as a for profit, duck ranching, no G at the end, as a for profit. Like that's that's where that's kind of my day job is yeah, the yeah. biggest waterfowl operation here. What I learned was if we aren't advocating for ranchers, if we aren't advocating uh-huh. for water farming, if we aren't advocating for water quality and all these other things beyond just hunting, fishing regulations, like we so often fall into in the sportsman side, we weren't going to move the needle as far as Florida hunting goes, as far as Florida conservation goes. So through the all Florida side of the camp, I often find myself advocating for farm bill stuff. I often find myself advocating for water storage. I often find myself advocating for conservation easements, as well as redfish regulations or deer regulations or whatever. And then I kind of fit those two together because I don't think you could have one without the other. I think it's a, it's a message I've heard you, you talk about ad nauseum and I don't mean that in a bad way, but you can't, you can't talk about conservation without including hunting in the conversation. And that's the thing, you know, in Florida over the years, we've seen hunting kind of pushed to the back burner and we've taken more of an environmentalist approach to conservation. More of a uh-huh. preservationist approach. And I'm uh-huh. very, very big on we've got to be inclusive of hunting because without hunting, we don't have so many of the things we talk about. So one of the big things coming down the pipeline in 2024, because it did get, and you'll have to give me the, give everyone listening sort of the, the, the playbook here. But in 2024, there is going to be, is it a ballot initiative or a vote for the right to hunt and fish in Florida, right? That's right. So um, you actually had Luke on the podcast before as well. Yeah, IOTR is doing a big push. So Luke Hilgeman. IOTR um, worked with with myself, Mike Elfenbein, a number of stakeholders in Florida. And we kind of built out the coalition of a lot of other folks that I've heard come through your podcast. And uh, and it's funny how small this world is when you, when you really want mm-hmm. to. But mm-hmm. uh, we passed legislation to get on the ballot in 2024 the right, the constitutional right for the state of Florida for hunting and fishing. Um, and so I forget what the polling was, but it was above the threshold, like the way the language work was above yeah. the threshold. We were optimistic we can pass that. It, it's definitely going to take a lot of chatter about it, a lot of conversations about it. Um, and we'll start to see that dial up in the probably in the next 90 days because we're going into when does that when does that actually go to like this is when it's happening it'll August? be on the ballot in November of 24 so it's the presidential okay, election okay. Um, oh geez so it's going to be a big turnout big voter turnout year and so it's that's when it'll be on the ballot in Florida is November of 24 so we 
you know, I, I've never done a campaign of that magnitude. That's not my, I'm a, mm-hmm. I'm a sportsman conservation advocate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So my guess is you kind of dial up the heat on advertising for it and talking about it probably six to nine months out. So probably after the first of the year. So is, are people going to look at this as a partisan issue or is it going to be sort of have no color to it? Uh, Hopefully has no color to it. So, so to get something on the ballot in Florida, you have to, there's two ways you can do it. One is you can get, I forget the rule, like 8% of the total votes cast in the last presidential election, which in Florida would be almost 900,000 signatures. Okay. Verified, validated signatures. It's a really high threshold. And then yeah, yeah. not just that, like they're split up into districts and there's rules. It's really hard. It's a high bar. The other way you can do it is you can get the state house and state senate to pass a joint resolution to put this on a ballot. That is what we actually did is we put... Right. So the reason I bring that up is you asked about this being a uh, bipartisan there's 160 elected members. I, th- I think that's the number, roughly 160 elected members between the House and Senate. Um, we definitely have a Republican majority in both, but 159 to one um, voted to, to allow this to go on the ballot. And we had a number of Democratic co-sponsors jump on board with this. I have a, I have a number of, of Democrat state representative friends that were eager to sponsor this bill because they see the value um, of the funding mechanism that hunting and fishing bring to the state. Fishing in Florida is kind of a no-brainer, right? Like 250,000 mm-hmm. hunters, 4 million fishermen. Your your wildlife and sport fish restoration dollars are huge. Gosh, it's the equipment. fishermen that are going to bring it, man. The fishermen are going to freaking carry this water for the most part, right? Exactly right. And we, we actually renamed it. It's actually the right to fish and hunt in Florida oh, versus the right brilliant. to hunt fish. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, um, We'll definitely have you on this time next year because that'll be another time to sort of ring the roses and, and see what we can do to help you. Um, well, and before, what I wanted... before you say that, Luke is actually working, I think, on some similar stuff around the country too. So I know, yeah, I know... Yeah, there are a couple of other states that he's pushing, like, you know, states that you would think would have the right to hunt and fish, like Ohio. Ohio is one that... Um, you're like, what? Ohio doesn't have... And they're like, yeah, you know? Absolutely. Um, so the reason I, we, we are podcasting is because we have, um, I love people, friends of mine that can call my ass out. And, uh, Travis Thompson is, is one of those. And I, I, one, number one, respect you tremendously. Number two, um, appreciate people coming to the table and saying, Hey, you need to do a little bit of thinking right here. And I'm a thinking kind of guy. So uh, to give everyone context here, I, obviously we've talked about me being in South Florida. I was in South Florida to, to, to start filming a documentary about sustainable utilization and being able to utilize products that come out of the field, alligators, pythons, and iguanas specifically. Uh, and so I posted a picture of that we had some really good photos from Slots Media, and I said, I'm going to read the post. Why is hunting necessary? That question we should all need to answer as hunting comes under more and more scrutiny. Sustainable utilization is a key element. The idea that wildlife can be utilized is a big one. Good science leads to good quotas, which leads to sustainable offtake to ensure populations are not detrimentally affected. For other species like pythons and iguanas, they have to be managed through hunting, which I think is where the issue comes in. <laughs> um, there is no other effective tool in wildlife managers toolkit than that right now. Pythons cause ecosystem level effects, yada, yada, yada. We're embarking on telling these stories. And so Travis very uh, articulately and very, um, what's the word here? Respectfully says, started, and I'll res- this is Travis's response. Tread carefully here, Robbie, dot, dot, dot. Hunting, quote unquote, becomes interchangeable as a term with paid agent trapper, quote unquote, which is far outside the North American wildlife model. No license fees on these species, no contribution to conservation funding, no federal um, I don't know what WSFR, but you can tell me what that means. Monies, yet the entirety of the hunting industry, quote unquote, cannot wait to reduce Florida to a sexy pile of rubbish. So, why don't I let you start? Huh. Elaborate. So, so first, let me, let me start at the end of that. The sexy pile of rubbish thing. 
Um, yeah. What I mean by that is when we see national coverage of Florida in the hunting conversation, I'm going to talk hunting. You'll hear me say hunting and fishing a lot, but I'm going to talk primarily hunting. We reduce it to exotics because those right. are the things that no one else has. So when I right. go on do a podcast with a duck hunting group or whatever, the one thing that they really want to talk about and get some clicks is pythons. Like it's, mm. it just is. Like I'm not faulting anybody for that. It's just kind of human nature. Sure. Iguanas is not far off from that. We have tegus. Like we're invasive central yep. down here. Yeah. Um, yep. Alligators, I'm going to set off the site because obviously they belong here and, and they're very native and uh, yeah, I'm a big up to alligator. Yeah, I think, this, I think this conversation is from an invasive perspective is very much a python iguana centric kind of conversation. It is. I, I, I will touch on gators a little bit though when we talk about WSFR. So WSFR is your wildlife and sport fish restoration dollars. These are your okay. Pittman Robertson. and Yeah, Pittman Robertson dollars. Yep. So WSFR is what most of your state agencies refer to them. WISFR is sometimes the acronym that they use. Um, so we get that money allocated back to us based on, and I'm sure you've talked about this somewhere along the way, but we get it based on uh, number of hunting licenses sold, number of fishing licenses sold, amount of public lands. Like there's some magical math formula that takes place behind the scenes. Correct. And we Correct. allocate that. Land area, number of hunting licenses, that kind of stuff. Yep. And for those that don't know, if you don't know on this yet, it's, a, it's an excise tax that is placed on guns, ammunition, ammunition, archery equipment. Those are the big three in the hunting space that we talk about. When you get into invasives, we require no hunting license to hunt invasives. To do them. That's right. We didn't right. have to have a hunting license to go after a python or go after an iguana. That's so right. anyone could come to Florida and hunt a python. Anyone could come to Florida and hunt an iguana. And in fact, we don't require a hunting license to hunt an alligator as well. Alligators. No, exist. you require a, so you can either draw a tag. Mm -hmm. So you could do the whole tag thing, but we were, because the, because the government in Florida recognizes that handling a 10 foot alligator by yourself is probably not the safest thing to do in the world, that you can get a trapping agent's license, which allows you to help me help you with your right. alligator. Yeah, it's $50 or something to, to get a trap. Yeah, $52.05 or something. Yep. yep. Um, so, and that's a decidedly Florida experience, right? To, to come here and hunt an alligator is a decidedly, in my opinion, take or leave pythons and, and iguanas. But an alligator is a thing that belongs here. And to me, that's a, an emblematic of Florida hunting experience. Yep, yep. In the North American model, so we talked about right to hunt fish. There's, there's, really, there's really three reasons that hunting kind of exists in North America that, that we can point to. One is subsistence. Like historically, when we yep. moved here, we had to hunt so we could get food. Two is revenue. Hunters fund mm -hmm. conservation. How often have we mm -hmm. said that time after mm -hmm. time after time, right? If you don't have either of those as a necessity, the third leg of that table is right to hunt and fish. You better have a constitutional right in your state protecting the ability to do this. When we talk about hunting in Florida, the three things that we like to talk about most, pythons, iguanas, and alligators, you're not required to buy a hunting license to, to pursue those animals. So mm -hmm. if 50,000 people come here to hunt pythons, tegus, iguanas, alligators, etc., that falls outside the funding mechanism that is hunting is conservation often in conversation. So we don't get any kind of dollar back for any of those people participating in that. Falls outside the North American model. And go even further, we generate these economies around. I'm not knocking anyone that does this, okay? I want to be very careful about that because I- No, I no, no, sure, sure. I have very good friends that are professional python trappers that are professional, like they do this stuff for a living. Very good friends, people I value. But- the state then turns around, so we pay, I don't know how many nuisance alligator trappers in the state. We pay python trappers in the state. We pay tegu trappers in the state. And we pay people then to remove this wildlife. But then we kind of juxtapose it with hunting. And it, to some degree, if you boil hunting down to taking something to kill something else, trapping falls under that umbrella. 
I think that's a good thing because we have more people doing it. And you can go out uh -huh. with an air rifle in your backyard. But we uh -huh. established years ago that hunting, hunter safety and hunter's ethics are very important. There's no requirement for any of that governed over anyone wanting to take an air rifle and shoot an iguana in a backyard. There's no, there's, so there's, I, I, that's why I said tread carefully because these are problems that we do have to manage and they are wildlife problems yeah. that we have to manage. However, they're a thing that is occurring outside the North American model of conservation. And they're occurring where we create this, um, this market economy almost to ensure that this wildlife exists in the ways that it does. But we, we're circumventing some of the stuff that allows us to stand as hunters that we've been able to stand on for generations. Do you think, though, that, and, and maybe this is where I'll, I'll sort of play a little devil's advocate, because when I read your comment, this is sort of how my brain operated. I never, because I guess I wasn't raised in this country, and obviously I am American now, and I've embraced the North American wildlife model, but I didn't, I didn't, I didn't was, wasn't raised around it and whatnot. So in my brain, when I saw the comment, I was more like, are you, are you questioning whether we're hunting? Number one, which I don't think you were, but in my brain right away, I was like, man, I, we are technically hunting. So, but then I moved past that to more of like, yes, I can see how the mechanism of taking iguanas and taking pythons is not, does not fit with the North American wildlife model for contributing back to the state from a conservation perspective. But there is certainly another leg. Uh -huh. That is an ecological conservation leg. That is the removal of pythons and iguanas without that's outside of the North American model, which is what this is at the at the at the at the when it started. That's what it is. Now it's self-generating. Now a market economy, right? That is generating money, but still doing the same thing that it started out doing, which is an ecological conservation mechanism of removing these invasive species that have certain detrimental effects in the ecosystem. I, okay. I think all that's fair. I think it's all valid. I think it's right, but I'm going to argue with it anyway. Um, <laughs> love it. I love it. That's why we're here. I think, yeah, because I think if you can't have these debates and wrestle with this stuff, like you don't get to a better place, right? Of course not. I, I think the one, if we took animals out of it, and we made it plants, it becomes a different conversation because we wrestle, as a waterfowler, we wrestle to keep hydrilla on the landscape in Florida because it's the most successful submerged aquatic vegetation. So it becomes the most successful duck food in the state. But hydrilla is invasive, right? Extremely invasive. Extremely invasive. But so a waterfowl hunter doesn't necessarily want hydrilla removed. So there's a hypocrisy in this conversation a little bit in how we as Floridians go about treating these well, animals. Yeah, and there's certainly hypocrisy now, right? Because there is a market economy of iguanas and pythons. And I spoke with the guys that we've gone out with and said, you are reducing them. Like, you take out 40 today, there's 40 less to charge someone to do tomorrow. And the response back was, that's okay. I, I think I would have to see estimates on the iguana numbers because I, I just, I struggle to believe that we are reducing the population of them at all. And, and I kind of well, feel here's the, same the other thing, thing that, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. No, absolutely. Go ahead. What an interesting thing that I learned when I was in Florida around the iguanas that was counterintuitive in my brain is that Florida just passed a law that said it was illegal to hold live iguanas. I was like, man, that's an amazing law. And the guy goes, no, it's terrible because everyone that used to come to Florida to capture the little babies that were taking them out of the state that would never be able to live if they escaped everywhere else outside of Florida is now not coming down here. Dude, the amount of small iguanas that we saw everywhere, he was like, look, it, it, he's never seen as many babies as we've that that we saw that day, or in the time frame that we are around. You heard the estimates on pythons. You guys talked about pythons, I'm sure. 
The, yep. There's a number. There's a number estimated between one hundred thousand and three hundred thousand pythons in the greater Africa. Number one, I have no idea how anybody could estimate number of pythons because there's there's just no way. Because right? you just it's literally finding a needle in a city full of needles. You you can't see them. I've I've been out on twenty five python hunts. I don't know ten python hunts, fifteen python hunts, and I've been lucky to catch some because they were in the middle of the freaking road. Yeah. If, yeah. they're, if they're not, I don't understand. These guys that do it, they're incredible. I'm an outdoorsman that spends all my time outdoors. I'm not being reductive to any of their skills because how they see these things is unbelievably incredible. But I also don't believe trappers riding levees at night is the most effective way to manage. I, I don't know what the better one is. I know that we're doing a lot of work now with sentinel snakes and we're doing a lot of work now with um, uh, trying to find dogs that could track them and you're using mm-hmm. a lot of different methods because mm-hmm. a sentinel snake if you're not aware of it they tr- they put a transmitter on a male and turn them loose mm-hmm. and then they will almost for lack of a better term have an orgy with a with a female and so you'll get all these males there and so you can go and potentially take out a female full of eggs and all the other males that are in an area yep those yep. are like the successful where you'll see where they catch 30 to 50 in a in a single night mm-hmm. they're using the sentinel snake program that seems like a lot more effective than i mean you went out and did it you're driving a levee at night with headlamps and lights on the truck and everything else, looking for the faintest thing that seems out of place. That doesn't seem, I don't think the alternative is to do nothing, but I don't think that's necessarily the best alternative. And as we create an economy around it, anything you create an economy around that I've seen, you tend to ensure that it exists so you can continue to profit off of it. Yeah, of course. That's that's the hunting model, right? The hunting right. model is you want you you see it as an economic asset, and I can absolutely see it. And I think maybe that these guys are thinking that it is an you know unquenchable asset. Like there's just again, you just we just talked about a pythons, right? Being so cryptic, the needle in the haystack. You know, if you can just you know. The, the lure of, of getting a 10-footer, a lure of getting a 15-footer, and you're not getting anything over three nights, maybe that's it. You know, maybe that's the economy. And iguanas is, again, it's never an eradication. It's more of like, you know, we're just suppressing the control of it. And I guess that's the question I have is, are we suppressing the control of it, or have we just created another economy around this lizard? And if so, I'm fine with that. I'm, I'm okay with that. But should we not be somehow funneling that into something connected to hunting from a funding standpoint? And I don't know that I'm right about that, but it just seems like we are now. No, it'd be, so what you're suggesting, you're advocating essentially for like, hey, people are coming down here. They're, 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 they're utilizing, not utilizing, they're, they're engaging in Florida resources, in Florida environment. These, the python and iguana is something that's on the landscape that needs to be, needs to be removed. Just ask somebody to pay a $10 license fee to get an iguana license for three days or whatever it is, and everyone will pay for it. Everyone will pay it. I, I, so it seems like common sense when we talk about it right here, right? Um, I, I have the same question around alligators. We, let's say we give out 10,000 alligator tags a year. That's 10,000 licenses that if we require them to have a hunting license, would count as 10,000 more hunters and whisper funds that are given back to the state to promote hunting programs, for youth hunting programs, for shooting ranges, et cetera. It's, it's a, it's oh, a so you're saying the people, that, the people that get an alligator tag are not counted in the license holders? They are not. Interesting. Not required Interesting. to have a hunting license. Is there maybe a Florida loophole, a Florida regulation, though, that pro- prohibits that sort of I could see, like, if you, for instance, I'll just say you, for, hypothetically, you got a tag, you bought the, the license, you invite me to come hunt with you as the alligator trapping agent. Okay. And if, let's just talk through your scenario. If I had to buy a hunting license to do that, is, I'm, am I violating the whole tag structure, license structure associated with wildlife quotas? I think that question is a little bit above my pay grade, but I, I guess what I'm saying is you've got to buy a $52 license to come do it anyway. That's right. Why aren't mm-hmm. we just making it $60 or $70 and 
and you buy the $18 hunting license as well. And we we now count you as a you, you just came and hunted in Florida for X number of days, right? Right. We don't have you as a hunter in Florida on any of our list. And right. what we talk about here all the time is honey. You you promote hunting un, unquestionably constantly. Yeah. But you don't count as a hunter in Florida. And we've built a economy and a structure that the hunting, the hunting industry, the hunting universe that we live in in the United States looks to in Florida and promotes almost exclusively. You you rarely see outside of a Delta Waterfowl or a Ducks Unlimited or a Wildfowl magazine, you'll rarely see any kind of conversation around waterfowl hunting in Florida. You rarely yeah. see any kind of conversation around running dogs in Florida. Florida has a huge dog hunting culture around deer. You'll rarely mm-hmm. and see pigs. and pigs. You'll rarely see any of this conversation filter into the traditional hunting. We see we see ducks in Arkansas and ducks in Louisiana and ducks at and, and you really see that. Yeah, but that's where the good duck hunting is, Travis. <laughs> sorry, I, I have to say it. I, get I it. have to say it. I'm sorry. <laughs> but if you want, if you want our magazine subscriptions and everything else, and, and we're, we're consumers, we're sheep a little bit to an extent. So we're going to click where it's sexy. You, you're not going to lose anybody because you covered pythons. You're not going to lose anybody because you covered iguanas. You're not going to lose anybody because you covered tables. <laughs> but the simple fact of it is, you're not actually covering hunting under the li- licensing umbrella of hunting, which is why I said it's a thing that I think we need to be cautious about. And I'll, I'll say it candidly. I, I've never heard Meat Eater make those distinctions. I've never heard Outdoor Life make those distinctions. I, I respect all these publications. I respect all these people. And I didn't know about those distinctions. In my brain, I was just like, this is an invasive species, just like pigs. So for instance, like pigs in Mississippi, you can hunt them whatever you, you don't need a hunting license mm-hmm. to hunt a pig in Mississippi. We actually now regulate pigs in some WMAs. They have seasons on them because they've been here 500 years. And I, I don't know what the number is. Like 500 years from now, do you just have a python season because they're so naturalized here? I, I don't know the answer to that. But it, again, hey. if you look at um, if you look at invasive species, and we have so many of them because we are, you know, ground zero for it. Um, We've got a, a purple sweat headed, a gray headed swamp hen. They changed the name several years ago. Gray headed swamp hen. And it's this thing, it's about the size of a guinea fowl. And okay. it's an egg eater of a bird. It's a bird. And it, 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 it's eat, one of the things it feeds on its other birds' eggs. Um, it's very endangered in its native land of Guam. Because Guam is a U.S. territory, it's covered under the Migratory Bird Treaty Act. So I have waterfowl properties. Where I'm trying to get, you know, native ducks, model ducks, white belly whistling ducks, fulvus to nest. And I have these colonies of this invasive bird that I'm not allowed to shoot. I'm not allowed to hunt. I'm not allowed to get rid of in any way, shape, or form. And it's because it's covered under the Migratory Bird Treaty Act. And it just, I think we lose a lot of nuance in the conversation because we're like, <laughs> hey, there's a python on that seawall. Let's shoot it with an air rifle. And I want to go back to what I talked about, about ethics and education. Most people in Florida think, oh, Florida is this historically red state. Like, we've become a red state, right? We're recognized as that. Surely they're pro-hunting. Surely they're pro-hunting. That's not the case, guys. That's not the case at all. And so we talked about it last time I was on the podcast. If some kid is in a canoe out there shooting, shooting iguanas with their air rifle, I can logically equate that to me growing up and, and, and going in the backyard and shooting squirrels with an air rifle. Right, which is yeah, a foundational yeah, yeah. concept of hunting. That kid shooting iguana should be a foundational concept of hunting. The problem is what's behind him where he's shooting. There's pool screens, yeah. and there's there's snowbirds, and there's ten trillion houses, and can all these people that live there. And so now you've created anti hunters in some cases, and they're out there seeing this, and it's a fight that I don't necessarily see these people that are not under the hunting umbrella lining up for these fights when. You know, we get called into the commission's office and say, hey, you guys have got to stop hunting in this area, or we've got to start talking about restricting hunting on these lakes or restricting hunting over there. We're not, none of the iguana people or python people are coming in that room. It's the hunters that are getting called in that room. And it's all getting lumped together on the, on the non-consumptive side. So let's lump it all together on the consumptive side and all get in the same boat. Or 
let's start distinguishing when we talk about it at a national stage because I'm, I'm I personally, as a guy on the ground in Florida, am frustrated with it because it seems like a lot of what we see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I wonder who would be against having a Python license or an iguana license or a general just like, I don't even know what you would call it, invasive species hunting license or something that you just have to buy for the number of days, to, you know, 10 bucks a day or something like that. Make it five bucks for all. Like it, so, so I know that on the fishing side, because I do fishing stuff as well, I know that on the fishing side, the state has to make, air quotes, a profit on the license. So we've talked about, because Florida gets max, almost maximum dollars on the sport fish restoration side of that fund. The, what Makes would, sense. What, what would put us over the max or, or to the max would be if when you turn 65, we sold you a one-time license for $5. Because if everyone that turned 65 wanted to, you think of everyone that retires to Florida. If we required them all to buy a one-time legacy license for $5, it would make us a max fisherman state and we would get a bump in dollar funding, which makes sportsmen more important at the state level. See, we talk, mm-hmm. about, we talk about funding a lot at a national level and how sportsmen fund conservation, and it's true. It's, it's fundamentally true if you go back a billion years and it's fundamentally true in most of the country. But in Florida, if you look at our wildlife agency budget, hunters are worth 15% of it. Fishermen are worth 15% of it. The rest of it comes from dock stamps and gas taxes. So, and a dock stamp is on a house sale. So essentially, you move to Florida because we have no property or with no uh, state income tax, and you become a resident, you're now an equal stakeholder to me in the eyes of our wildlife agency. Oh, yeah. So it becomes a, like, if, if you get in the weeds a little bit on this, and most people don't want to get in the weeds because it's a complex, nuanced conversation, but I am saying... If you're a voice that has a voice in conservation and hunting in the United States, this is a thing that I run up against pretty frequently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so really in the state of Florida, PR, the idea that hunters are conservationists in, in Florida is 15%. Um, it's probably less than 15%. Well, oh no, 15%. And, may, and maybe I would say, let's just use the, it will, NSSF says, of that, if if we go, if we take 100% of that 15%, 30% is hunters, 70% is shooters. Well, and let me go you one further. We have another agency that is Department of Environmental Protection, has no authority over hunting, manages <laughs> a huge amount of our lands in the state. Their budget this year is a billion dollars. So I said we are 15% of the wildlife management agency budget. That's nothing to do with the land management agent budget. So we're honestly probably in that five to seven percent range overall and that five to seven percent would then reduce by 30 or whatever it was to, to calculate a number it's 15 percent it, yeah it's nothing yeah no it's uh something definitely to think about and, and you shows the it. challenge to get right to hunt moving forward right well, exactly because and that's why i've been so passionate about it because i said earlier you got three reasons to have it we don't have subsistence and we don't have the high ground with funding anymore. So I walk into hey. I walk into meetings to talk about pick a topic. And I'm not advocating, I can't believe I'm saying this on your show. I'm not advocating for hunting sandhill cranes. But if I were to go advocate for hunting sandhill cranes in Florida, where we have a gajillion of them, that's the true number, a gajillion. <laughs> I would get chased out of town because we have such a heavy influence politically with the birdwatching environmental communities. And so I've even proposed before, let's do some kind of a study. Let's, let's issue a thousand Sandhill crane tags over three years and do a study, see if their DNA is Florida Sandhill or greater Sandhill or whatever. Can't even get that conversation Not started that. because it's a political, yeah. we, we lose. And so- Well, just like, and that's probably why black bears will never be talked about again from a hunting perspective in Florida. Yeah, I could get myself in some trouble over black bears, but we we are the only state with more than a thousand that doesn't have a season. We have more black bears in Florida today than at any point since Hernando de Soto landed in the state in 1513. Damn. 21 and a half million people, and we got more black bears at any point in time in history, like in, in, in white settled history. And we cannot discuss 
the population status of the black bear, let alone a hunt. We can't discuss the population status of the black bear. Peace. Better you than me, my friend. Yeah. Better you than me. Yeah. Like, like next time someone says, oh, it's a, I shouldn't say this, I'll give myself trouble. But next time someone says, oh, it's a red state, hunting's important. I kind of roll my eyes now at that statement because it's just, it, it, uh-huh. it drives me a little bit crazy. Well, it's funny. It's almost like reflective. It's almost like the fringes, the West Coast and the East Coast are just slowly, slowly changing, man. You know, people ask me, they're like, what do you think is going to happen in the next five to 10 years? I was like, and again, I shouldn't be saying this, but California's gone. Washington State's probably gone. Oregon's probably gone. Colorado's probably gone. You know, it's it's these these places where the idea of hunting, the idea of connecting outdoors, um, that is being re- re- sort of eroded away because there's other values in place now and other funding mechanisms in place that can sort of do the work. Like Colorado, it would be a simple strike of the pen for the whole cannabis industry to say, well, we'll just give the wildlife department four million a year yep. of our $60 million revenue. Easy. Yeah. Boom. Solved. What else do you need? You don't need hunters anymore? You want some more money? Yeah, we'll give you some more money. Tough scenario. That was the concern too, like when we when we had the Return Act come up a year ago. And and Congressman Clyde. Oh, shit. Let's, no, no, no. That's 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 no, no. we me and you talked about the old old what's his face? Clyde. Andrew Clyde. Yeah. But it's the same, it's the same concept there, right? Like if you replace if you replace the hunter dollar, the sportsman dollar, the firearm dollar with oil money, the uh-huh. dollar amount could even stay the same, but how it gets there is of tantamount importance. Oh yeah, and and it it, sure, it like, takes you out of the conversation. It's exactly just right. like you're facing in Florida. You lose your seat at the table. And so, I just want to clarify too: not be reductive to anyone out there hunting pythons, hunting tegus, hunting iguanas. Like I respect the work they're doing, and it is thankless. Like a lot of because I think the python hunters get don't hold me to this, but I think they get like fifty dollars a snake. It probably doesn't cover a tank of gas. Yeah, I think it's twenty five dollars a. I think it's $25 up to five foot and then is that what six it is? foot. Then it's like, but then I, every foot over that, I, and don't somebody's going to have to correct me here, but I think it's $25 for every foot after that. So it's worthwhile if you catch a 15 footer. Right. But if you get five, six, seven footer, you're not paying for the gas that it took you to get out there and back. And it may take you three nights to catch that 15 yeah. footer. So is it really worth, I mean, the people I know, and, I, and I'll say this too, because I, I mentioned gators as well. The people I know that are nuisance gator trappers, the people I know that are contract python hunters for the state, they do it because they love being outdoors. Most of them love oh, yeah. the animals that they're chasing. Like the gator hunters that end up, a lot of those gators, most of those gators get destroyed. They get killed. They do it because they love catching gators and they really love alligators. I mean, they're, they're Well, consu- you just, you guys have a, just a... Florida, if you've never been to Florida, and I got to experience it the last, in those 10 days, is you have a very, dare I say, endangered redneck, which is your Florida cracker. Uh-huh. And cracker not being racist in any term, it's tied to the cow whips of the cowboys of Florida. But you guys, the guys that live, the gladesmen, the people who used to live in the swamp, the people who lived off the land. Those guys have it like they just love it. They are like, we want to be out there at night. We want to chase the deadliest thing. We want to chase things that are going to bite us, stick us, could drown us in the worst conditions under humidity, bugs, you name it. We love it. You you have to be a little off to do any of it in Florida because like you said, I mean, the worst part of it is the heat and humidity. The bugs, the mosquitoes, like, how often do you go, like, in your hunting career, deer, whitetails, elephant, whatever you've hunted in your life, how often do you go unsuccessfully on a trip? I would say it's half the time, if not more. Like, yeah, you have to love it to do it in really what I'll describe as a guy that makes a living off doing it. You, you have to love doing it. You have to love everything that goes with it. The spoonbills and the wood storks and the sunrises and the... Right. 
the snakes and the gators and everything else that you see and kick around out there, it's like, you just have to love being in it. And once it gets in you, it's a little bit infectious, I think, in a good way. Like people do, they kind of fall in love with it. But it's not just all <laughs> glamour, you know, tarpon breaking the glass and eating your fly. Like it's 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 a harsh environment with hard things to do. Mm-hmm. No, man. I, I I as I said, I was I was deeply impressed and respected, and at times taken aback by the language being thrown around. <laughs> Even my UK cameraman looked at me and were like, uh, "Should we be rolling film?" Whilst they're <laughs> superb superlatives, I was like, "Yeah, uh, maybe not." Well, the Gladesman culture, uh, the Gladesman culture down there is a is a very unique culture as well. Like it's it's a it's recognized by the Army Corps of Uni- Engineers as a unique persons group. Jeez, it's amazing. And, and I believe the Seminole Tribe is the only nation the United States ever declared war on that never surrendered. So the Seminole just retreated into the swamps and say, yeah, come, like, come get us. <laughs> and everybody's like, heck no, we're not doing this. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it would take a special group of people to live in 1830s, Florida, 1850s, Florida in the Everglades. Like, dude, unbelievable. I, I, I like to make sure I have a generator and an air conditioner nearby when I'm down there. Like I'm not, I'm not hurting prison for a reason. Yep. hundred percent. Well, Travis Thompson, as I said to you on the on Instagram, man, respect the hell out of you. Um, uh, value your opinion tremendously. Value what you're doing in Florida, uh, and just always appreciate a, a good discussion and back and forth. Same, Robbie. Thank you for everything you do, and thanks for having us on and and listening. And and just consider that stuff. You know, as we move forward in Florida, we appreciate we appreciate all that you guys do, and we appreciate everyone telling the story. Just remember, there's some of us down here scuffling. Well, let's have you on next year again as you get closer and closer to the right to hunt to fish and uh, the right to fish and hunt. There you go. And uh, we'll hope to see if we can help and, you know, bring in our friends to help as well. Thanks, Robbie. Well, that's it for today. Appreciate you listening. As always, leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.